The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Good evening. I said good morning earlier. It's great to have you all here with us. I want to share with you the meaning behind that, that story, the, probably the most popular and greatest story Jesus ever told. And we know it as the prodigal son. You see, in that time and day and age, there was group of people often referred to as sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus, when he would come into town, they would often rally to wherever he was to see the signs he would perform, the love that he would share, because he had compassion for the people. In Luke chapter 15, we're told that the crowds are pressing in, the sinners and the tax collectors are there, and they're pressing in because they want to hear what he has to say. Present there that day was another group, an outer circle, a group of uppity-ups, of religious elite, of those who thought they had it all together, and they're standing just outside the circle with their their arms crossed, their spectacles on the end of their nose, and, and they're thinking to themselves and saying to one another, if he only knew the people that were around him, If he only knew that they were the worst of the worst, there's no way that he would stay there in the midst of that crowd because how could he be sent from God and the Messiah and have anything to do with those undesirable people? Jesus knew exactly what what they were thinking. And so he told this series of stories found in Luke chapter 15. The first one was about a shepherd, and this shepherd had 99, had 100 sheep, but at the end of the evening, he had come together and gathered 99 all together and found there was one missing. And so you know what the shepherd would do at that moment? What most of us would do. He looked out at his sheep and saw 99 and said to the crowds, hey, we have 99% today. This is a great thing. We have almost scored a perfect score. 99 of them are here. Let's throw a party. But that's not what he said. The Bible tells us, Jesus said that that shepherd left the 99 sheep behind. And he went out into the dark of the night to find that one lost sheep. And when he found that sheep who was stuck under a thicket, he picked it up and he cared for it and he put it on his shoulders and he carried it back singing and celebrating the fact that he had found that one lost one. And when he got back to the sheepfold, he called all his shepherd buddies and he said, we're throwing a party. I have found that lost sheep. We have all of them. They're all here. And they celebrated. And then the next story Jesus told was the story of, of, of a woman who had 10 coins. And while counting them, she accidentally dropped one and, and, and she couldn't find it. And so you know what she said to herself? I've got 90 cents on the dollar. Who cares about a dime? But that is not what she said. I've got to find that last coin. So she tore the house apart. She, she tore everything apart. She called her friends. She called her family. She called her church and said, please pray. I need to find that, last, that coin. And she finally found it. And she declared to everyone, thank you so much for praying. Thank you so much for fasting. Thank you so much for coming and lifting up the sofa while I looked. I found that last coin. I have all ten. 
Jesus said there was a father and he had two sons. You see, the crowd was pressing in. They were leaning in because they loved the stories. The crowd on the outside couldn't believe the kinds of things. One, first of all, he spoke as if he knew what he was talking about, as if he had authority. But how could he be saying these things? How could it be associated with these broken sinners? And so in the story of a father and two sons, you have this young son who had been dreaming about the day when he would be in charge of his own life. If he could just get away, if he could just get his hands on his inheritance, he could leave all of this behind and go out and live life and experience the freedom that he one day wanted to grab a hold of if he could only be set free. And so he went to his father and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want my share. I want to go out. And you know what the father did? The father obliged. The father gave the young man inheritance. He divided it up and he gave it to a half to the older son, half to the younger son, and the son went out and he began to live it up. He threw the greatest parties ever known. And we've come to know this story. If you look it up in Luke chapter 15, you see it's called the prodigal son. But what's interesting about the word prodigal, if you look it up in the dictionary, Many times we've associated that phrase prodigal son with that, that wayward lost soul. You know, we've talked about the Johnsons that live down the street who have that daughter who ran off and got involved in a bunch of junk. And we've prayed for the Johnsons because their daughter has had to go to rehab not once, not twice, but three times. And we've prayed for her and we've We've, we've now come in our society to refer to people like that as the prodigal. She's the prodigal one. And universally, uh, when we hear the phrase prodigal, we think of the one who went off the rails, who, who, who blew it all, who, who lost it all, who, who, who's, who's just become no good. But the interesting thing about the word prodigal, if you look it up in the dictionary, is it means extravagant or lavish. The interesting thing about the word prodigal is that when you look at the different characters, first of all, you see this young son, and yes, uh, the way he lived and the way he thought and, and his culture to be able to go to your dad and say, I want my inheritance, yes, that was extravagant. And in that culture, when that man communicated that to his father, in a way, he was saying, I wish, I wish you were dead. And in that culture, in that society, as soon as he took his inheritance and went off to live his own way, he was dead to the family. Yeah, that's extravagant. That's a little crazy. You can look at the older son. That, that son kind of uh, was all about living to please the father. He would get up early and do chores before his chores, and he would clock in early, he would clock out late, and he was like, hey, everyone, check me out. I'm the good son. I'm doing everything right. Hey, Dad, do you see me? I, I, I'm doing all the right things here. I'm not like that other son who left us. I'm, I'm doing it all right. And he kept trying to live 
for the approval of his father. And at the end of the story, when the young son comes back, he's like, no way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not participating in the celebration. He went out and he trashed our family name. He went out, you went out and you, you wasted all our family's money. I, I don't want anything to do with it. How can anyone accept this kind of living? That was a little extravagant. But you know who's the most extravagant in this story? The father. The one who is the most extravagant, who who loves more lavishly than any, is that father who waited up all night, praying, patiently waiting, looking out for the return of the father calling his friends, calling his family, will you pray with me that my son will return up night with a broken heart, waiting for his son to return, ready at any moment to receive his son back. And the scripture tells us in verse 20 and following, the the, the gospel summed up in one verse, there came a point when the young man hit rock bottom and he came to himself, the scripture says, and he realized What am I doing? You see, a famine came and hit the land. All the money finally uh, dried up, and he had to go get a job. So he went to get a job on a pig farm. Now, in, in some places like Virginia or Arkansas or wherever farm country is, a, a pig farm might be a great job, but in this culture, this was a deal breaker. The Jews had nothing to do with with pigs, they were dirty animals. They were they were forbidden to be messed with according to ceremonial laws. This was the worst. And so those who were who were leaning in, pressing into Jesus, the sinners and tax collectors, were on the edge of their seats, wondering where the story was going. This was shaping up to be the best story ever told. And the onlookers, the Pharisees, the judgmental ones, were sitting in the back, going, "This is crazy. Who is this man, and what is he talking about?" young man finally hit bottom. He went to work with the pigs. He got to the point where he had nothing left. He desired to eat the very food the pigs were eating, the pig slop. And he came to himself and he said, you know what? How can I go on living like this any longer? The servants on the bottom on my father's payroll have it better than this. I've got to figure out a way to go home. And he began to become broken. And the Bible tells us that he began to realize after coming to himself that I've got to get up and I've got to go back to my father. And the verse tells us that while he was still a long way off, father saw him. Father had compassion on him. Father left his porch, ran to him, and embraced him, and kissed him. This is the gospel. This is the Christmas story. This is what we're all here for, that we have a father who left his porch, who ran to us to love us, to embrace us, to let any of us know who think we're far off, that I love you. I came to be with you. I am here for you. On that journey from the pig farm to home, I'm sure the son was thinking to himself, 
I, I know that I've sinned. I've sinned against him. I've sinned against God. I've got to put together the right speech. I've got to say the right things. I may only get one shot when I get there. And so the long journey home, he's rehearsing to himself. He's saying, you know, writing the speech, saying it over and over again. And as he gets closer to home, people start to see him. Some recognize him and go, man, he's a mess. Uh, do you think that's really him? Is he coming back? He's been gone so long. How could the father ever take him back? And then all of a sudden, the father sees him. The father runs to him. And the father embraces him and picks him up. And before the young man had any chance to even say the rehearsed speech, he's saying, I'm so glad you're home. I love you. I've been waiting for you. I've been praying for you. I've been waiting for you to come home. There is nothing else that I need from you but you just to be here. And that's the kind of father we have. A father that longs for us to return home. A father that waits for us. And if you are here tonight and you are like that father and you have a loved one that's far off, you have a wayward daughter, you have a father yourself who does not know Jesus, then keep pressing on, keep praying on, keep waiting. Because you know what? There is someone that prays and waits with you. And that is a father in heaven who has his eyes on you, who has his eyes on your son, who has his eyes on your daughter, and he's watching you every step of the way, praying and hoping that you will one day come home. This is the Christmas story. That the greatest gift ever given was given in the form of our Savior, who came to offer mercy and grace and so the story should be called the prodigal father, the extravagant, lavish, loving father who came to pour out his love on any who would receive it, on any who would believe in him, and any who would trust and turn to him as Savior and Lord and come back home. So what do we do with this story? Maybe you're here tonight, and you're like the father that was in that video. It's time for you to write that letter of forgiveness, to prepare your heart, to make amends with whoever it is in your life that has drifted off, and to prepare to receive your son back, your daughter back, your wife back. When the son came back, the father turned to the servants and said, get a robe, put it on him. Get a sh a shoes and put it on his feet. Get a ring of authority and put it back on his ring. Kill the fatted calf. We are throwing a party. Strike up a band. We are celebrating. My son was lost, but now he's found. My son was dead, but he is alive again. And Jesus said, at the end of each of these stories, you think that that's good, if you think those celebrations are good, they compare nothing to what happens in heaven whenever a lost one, a sinner, repents and turns from their own way of living and comes back to the Father. There is rejoicing and there is joy in heaven like no other time on earth whenever a lost one comes home. And so this that you would receive the gift of forgiveness, the 
gift of grace. That you would know that there is a loving Father who stands with His arms wide open, waiting to receive you. And at the moment that you turn from your own way of doing things and turn your heart back to Him, that Father did not even hear the Son's rehearsed speech because it's not a matter of how elegantly we put our words that earn our way back to the Father. It is simply our heart turning back to Him. And tonight, the story tells us that there's an invitation for any and all who would simply turn their hearts back to the Father and come back home. And He is there waiting. And He is there ready to receive you with a huge, warm embrace, arms full of love and grace. But if for some reason, you choose to stay far away. The Father will continue waiting for you. He loves you. He became flesh and came to the mess of our world to pursue you. This is what Christmas is all about. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this story that shows us that your love is unconditional, your love is unending, your love is not dependent on who we are or the kind of speeches we write or the great things we do. Your love knows no end. So Father God, I pray that hearts would be opened to you tonight that hearts would come to the same place this young man arrived at when he swallowed his pride and came to his senses and said, I have to go back to the Father. I pray that hearts here tonight would say the same thing. I cannot continue to live life on my own. A creator created me. A maker made me. I was made by him and for him. And apart from him, I will never experience the kind of life that he has for me. Help me to turn from my sins, Lord Jesus. Help me to turn to you. I come back home. If you're here tonight and you would say, Pastor John, I need to come back home. I need forgiveness. I have wandered far from God. And I know I need to come back home. If you would want to accept that invitation, Jesus is waiting to receive you. All you have to do is turn your heart to him right now. If you are ready to do that all around this room, would you just raise your hand in the air and say, I am ready to come back home. I need the love of the Father. I need his forgiveness. I surrender my heart to him. I want to pray for you right now. Hands up all over our room. Raise it right now if you are ready to come back home. Father is waiting. I see your hand right there. Anyone else? The Father is waiting. His arms are wide open to receive you. I see your hand. Anyone else tonight? No matter what you've done, no matter how far you think you've gone, Jesus is waiting 
He loves you. Father God, I pray for each and every person in this room that we would realize that this Christmas season is not just a time to celebrate, not just a time to buy gifts and enjoy one another's company. It's a time of realizing that you gave the greatest gift ever. When you came down, when you left your porch in heaven and you ran to us to embrace us, to take our sin and forgive us in exchange for our turning our hearts back to you, you take away the filth in our life. You take away the sin that easily entangles and you exchange it for your grace. And we thank you for the gift of forgiveness, the gift of love, the gift of new life. And I thank you for those who have given their heart to you, who have returned back home to you tonight. I pray that you meet them this year, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you begin to make them new, transform them, put your clothes, code of righteousness over them. Help them to come to experience life anew in you. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, for your grace and your huge embrace. In your name we pray. Amen. As we close our service tonight, we want to do so remembering that Christ gave everything for us. It started in the form of a little baby. And 33 years later, he went to the cross in our place. That night he came, was still and quiet. There may not have been snow on the ground, but it was a humble beginning on a silent night. If you gave your heart to Jesus tonight, we'd love to know that and celebrate that decision with you. On your way out, Tonight, I'll be at the back door, and, and I'd love to, if you would just go out of your way to find me by the photo booth and just say, Pastor John, I came home tonight. I'd love to know that. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to celebrate that decision with you. For those of us who are already home and know Jesus as our Savior, this message doesn't just end here on Christmas Eve. This is the message of hope that we have been commanded to share with all of those at all times. So let us leave this place ready to share that good news with all who would hear it. Let's stand together now. Let's sing this beautiful song. And let's get ready to celebrate tomorrow the greatest gift ever given, the gift of Jesus Christ and the life he offers.